Welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast. I'm your host, Ren Robbins, and I'm excited that you're here. This is the place where you will feel encouraged as I share with you my friends' God stories. Whether you are on your commute to work, folding the laundry, or taking me along with you on your walk, I pray that you will feel seen by God and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents that He has given you. Well, I'm so excited to be back with y'all on the podcast, and I want to share my friend Sarah with you after years of chronic grief that followed her around like a black cloud, she said yes to a new idea of family. Her children joined she and her husband through domestic adoption and then later through gestational surrogacy. Sarah is a high school teacher, a mom of three, a chocoholic, yes, please, an author and faithful follower of Jesus. And she wants to remind us today that we are not alone. And so Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ren. I'm so excited to be here. This is great. We connected with through a mutual friend last year, um, our friend Melanie Red, And so uh, I've been following you and I know you have an amazing story of walking through infertility, a story you didn't pick or want, but I know that God has done a great work in your heart and your family. So welcome and let's dive in. Sounds great. Okay. So I know that... Um, you know, we've talked about, you've written a book about infertility and your journey through it. And, um, but I want to go back when you were in the midst of just walking through those lonely days um, of, you know, having empty arms when you wanted them to be full and, you know, walking through infertility treatments, but then how God, you know, in your bio, you shared about how um, you, accepted a different way that your family looked. So would you take us through that time a little bit um, for us today? Yes. Um, well, the book, it's funny, my oldest daughter just turned 18 in October. So you can you can kind of get how long in the making the book has been because it just mm -hmm. came out last May. Something God kept bugging me about. Like I was like, I don't need to write that down. I don't need to write that story. You know, my mom would say, oh, people need to read that story. And I'm like, oh, that's my mom. <laughs> yeah. Our moms are our biggest fans. fans. And, uh, yeah. But then I would get, whenever I would take a walk, which is my best quiet time, because I'm such a, I'm such a busy body. I'm always going, going, going. And when I'm in my house, it's hard to be quiet and still. But I leave my earbuds behind when I take a walk. And I swear, every time I walked over years and years, God would be like, oh, when are you going to write that book? When are you going to write that book? Mm. So, um, yeah, 10 years of infertility in total, and I consider myself a type A personality. So I had set goals and achieved them all throughout my life. You know, I wanted to get a bachelor's degree. I wanted to teach deaf kids. I wanted to um, get a master's degree out in Washington, D.C., move out there and get a master's in deaf, deaf education so I could teach sign language and deaf kids and check, 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 met my soulmate, got married. It's like, okay, I'm moving down the list. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we started trying and um, actually Valentine's weekend. So coming right up here uh, on whatever anniversary that would be, we started trying and we thought, oh, it's going to happen. And it'll be so cool to tell that it happened on Valentine's weekend. We conceived our first baby and well, it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And, um, 
Meanwhile, everyone my age, all my cousins and all my friends were, you know, with child. They were all getting pregnant and having babies and having baby showers, Mm -hmm. which were so incredibly heart-wrenching for me to go to. Um, I felt like I had done something wrong and I felt like in the middle of all those friends, they knew, you know, most of them knew that we were trying and it felt like my heart was just torn wide open and just laying there on the floor for everyone to, to see. And it was, you know, it was embarrassing for, it sounds kind of weird to say, but for a type A person who just gets things done and accomplishes everything in their own time. Um, But it was also, like I said, incredibly heartbreaking. So I remember having to go to baby showers. I remember uh, being at a Christmas gathering with our large family. And I remember the, of course, all of the women in my generation had had kids and they were little at that time and some were having second babies. And I remember the woman who was having the party saying, okay, everybody, you know, all the moms with kids go through the buffet line first. Mm -hmm. And I just ran into the bathroom. I mean, I didn't run. I felt like I ran, but I tried to keep calm. And I just bawled and bawled and just said, God, not another year, not another year. I cannot do this anymore. It's just too hard. Um, So, yeah, that's that. Those are some examples of when I just felt kind of felt abandoned, to be honest, by God. And when, yeah, I mean, just all of those things that you're mentioning, I'm just nodding my head like, yes, I remember, I remember, I remember that. Um, How did you move past that? Or how did God really um, start working on your heart to let you know and to share with you that your family was going to look a little different than what you had planned? Yeah, it really happened very suddenly for me, for as, mm. as far as an awareness goes, because I was very much my way or the highway. To be completely honest and own that, I was like, I know better. Like, I'm not going to adopt. I'm going to have my own, quote unquote, our own children. And if I can't have it that way, then I don't want it. I mean, I was very, mm. very demanding of God. And basically, I'm I, if that's your plan, I don't want it, God, because I know better. <laughs> I'm just mm. saying that, honestly, because I know there's other people out there that yeah. get to that point where even as a believer, you just go, this can't be what you have for me. This mm. is not, that's not what I want. That's not in my plans. So really, it was like that along the way. Of course, I prayed, but it was a constant wrestle, wrestling with God the whole time. And when it happened, when I was aware of it happening, I was sitting in the nursery. We had a nursery in our house that we had set aside. We had bought this huge house, not huge, but five bedrooms, you know, thinking we're going to yep. fill these bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And they, that nursery remained empty year after year. And I had gotten my a phone call. It was probably our fourth uh, IVF in vitro attempt. It was a frozen transfer that time, and I had gotten a call that it had failed, mm-hmm. and I went into the nursery, and I lost it. I just lost it. I I took one of the onesies that was hanging in the closet. We had a few little baby outfits, and I sat on the floor, and I bawled, and I bawled. I mean, I, I don't even know how long. It's the longest mm-hmm. I've ever cried, and I felt completely out of control, and I just railed with God, and why, 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 and... 
finally that kind of tapered off and it was like honestly my body of its own volition without my mind telling it to do so walked to the phone phone book you remember phone books yeah <laughs> yeah i do because <laughs> this would have been like almost 20 years ago now mm -hmm. um and I whipped open the yellow pages and I found the first flashing uh, ad for adoption. And I made a mm -hmm. phone call that very day wow. thinking how silly I was because it was 445 on a Friday afternoon and it was in November. So, you know, who stays till five o'clock at a mm -hmm. nonprofit on a yeah. Friday afternoon getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas? I'm like, this is mm -hmm. silly. But um, actually, a woman picked up and talked with me and was absolutely Jesus for me in that mm -hmm. moment. And she answered my questions and she pointed to hope and said it was really a wonderful, the perfect time to adopt, which is not what we'd heard from so many. You know, we'd been in workshops and things related to infertility. And there were a lot of people who... Um, they just didn't soft pedal it. They basically just told you the bad parts about adoption and just, you know, you're uh, you're going to always have two sets of parents and two sets of families for your kid and you're just going to have to get used to it. And these are all things that I've come to learn over time. But when you're in the middle of infertility, you really don't need somebody to be giving you all of the cold, hard facts. You need a little mm -hmm. bit more of like the hope and the beauty of adoption and how it's a great way to raise a family and all that. So that's what Carol did. Her name was Carol for me. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this is really a wonderful time to adopt. We actually have more birth families that we're working with than waiting families. And she's like, would you like me to send you some information? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And she signed me up for um, an informational session the following week. And the place is about 40 minutes away. And I got the packet the very next day in the mail, the um, mm -hmm. information. And... Um, from there on out, it was like, like God opened every door, like opened it, like here, come on this way, this way, this is the way you're supposed to go. Hmm. And it was just so very clear that that is the direction he had for us at that point. Hmm. Well, and you use, um, the theme of shining the light on God's story. So how can we do that well in hard times? If it is infertility or if it is something else that's bringing us pain, how can we shine the light on God's story? Yeah, well, I think if you're in the middle of a really difficult time, um, which we all will face, right? We all will have trouble. I think it helps to look back on how he's been faithful, the ways that mm -hmm. you can point, point to in the past where when he's been faithful. And when you know the Bible and you know the stories, I mean, there's some ugly stories in the Bible, mm -hmm. some heartbreaking stories. Yeah. And um, also, of course, so many imperfect people. But mm -hmm. God does not waste any of it. He doesn't waste any of it. He's faithful. He brings people through those stories and he's always working for their good. So I look at the past. I look at my own past, how he's been faithful I look at other people close to me, their testimonies and how he's been faithful in their lives. And I think about how his whole story in the Bible from Old Testament all the way to Revelation, it's, it, it's all about his faithfulness and how he never leaves us. And so when we question, we can question God all we want and he will absolutely come to the mat with us and help us to wrestle those questions out. But there's some 
answers, we will never have the side of heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whys that we have when, when we see just terrible things happening here on earth, whether it's, um, you know, an untimely death or a young child being ill or people suffering in other countries from hunger. But ultimately, when we trust and we lean on God's promises that he tells us that we know are true, that's where we find peace, which is exactly what the Bible says. So again, he doesn't stop loving us when we ask these questions and we can seek those questions and wrestle with them. But our ultimate peace is found when we trust in him and the promises he's given us in his word. Mm. And that's really how we can shine light on God's story is because it's what he wants. You know, that's what being a Christian is all about is submitting to his will and what he wants for us. Um, that's, that's, I mean, easier said than done. It really for is. Sure. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, well, tell us, tell us a little bit, what does your family look like now? Um, when you were starting all that journey with infertility and then that day where you were, um, starting the adoption process, tell us about your kids. Okay. So, um, I now have, we have two daughters through domestic adoption. They are 18 and 16. One just started driving. Talk about the need to rely on prayer yeah. <laughs> yeah. and trust. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have a son through a gestational carrier. So many people would say surrogate. That is not mm-hmm. technically the correct terminology because a surrogate actually donates her egg. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in um, Christian ethics related to that. Gestational surrogacy is when um, the couple's embryo is placed into the carrier's womb, and she basically serves as an incubator for those nine or ten months. So our son is 14, or almost 14. He'll be 14 February 16th. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's tons and tons of stories within there that would take hours to tell you, but um, I guess there's favorites with each of my kids, but when we were selected by birth couple for the first time and met with our daughter Adeline's birth birth um, parents, they, we were invited to be in the delivery room, wow. which is such a gift because as mm-hmm. you know, if you struggle with infertility at all, there's really so much that's been taken from you as far as even just like, the, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Like you don't mm-hmm. ever get that. I mean, you would never be surprised mm-hmm. by that because you're trying so hard. Of course, you were mm-hmm. hoping for that all the time. But then um, the idea that we could be in the delivery room and see mm-hmm. our baby from very, very minute one and meet her and, wow. um, you know, be a part of building a relationship from the very beginning was so, so special and such a privilege to be invited in. So we were in there and it was awkward. They, it's really hard to prepare for the hospital experience because of course, every hospital experience is slightly different. You don't know whether the staff is gonna be welcoming of adoptive parents even. Um, if they're going to, you know, you just don't know. And how's the birth mother gonna handle delivery? Is she gonna have any complications? Mm-hmm. So I did, the doctors were in and out checking Nita and I did say to her at one point, you know, if you're uncomfortable with this, I know you invited us in, but if you're uncomfortable, please just say so. We will be out in the hallway. We don't need to be here. And she grabbed my hand and looked into my eyes and said, this baby is yours and I want you right here. Mm, Wow. And uh, 
if that isn't an exact example of God's generosity and grace and love, I don't know what is. <laughs> mm, that's incredible. Wow. I mean, I can just think of, you know, going through infertility and just thinking about all of the emotions that you experience. You know, it's it's a joy. Maybe when some people see a pregnancy, joy, you know, on, on the test, joy, but then they lose a baby through miscarriage and then just the just the deep sorrow and then, you know, the joy of, you know, being in a, a room with your uh, baby being born, you know, through uh, adoption, then that's the joy. But then, you know, it's just such a, a roller, coaster, a roller coaster, but, coaster. You said it earlier. It really is a roller yeah, coaster. But that's because an amazing. Because you fall in love with that baby story. from minute one. And then, of course, yeah. you're not, you're not legally that baby's parent uh-huh, yet uh-huh. until you can get yeah. to that court date. Yeah. Okay. So that was the experience with your first daughter. And then two years later, you were able to adopt um, another baby girl. Yeah. So I teach high school and I had a young man, um, a student who I had had for four years. He graduated the year previous and he came in in the fall just to visit me and say hi. And uh, I was like, oh, great. I have so much work to do. What is this kid doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. It's funny. They can't wait to leave, but then they can't wait to come back. But anyway, he was just kind of telling me about his life and uh, he's like, oh yeah, me and my girlfriend broke up. And I said, oh, what's going on? And he said, well, she's in the army and she's pregnant and she's over in Germany. So um, it was not his baby. It was, she had, um, you know, formed a relationship over in Germany and he said, and they're looking to make an adoption plan for the, well, of course he, he didn't say that. He said, and she wants to give the baby up for adoption, which is what people say. It's not technically the right terminology, but mm-hmm. of course, then my ears were like, bing, bing, bing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe this is more than just a visit from a student mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I said, Josh, do you know that Mark and I are waiting to adopt again? And he was like, no, <laughs> he didn't get it right away. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, do you want me to connect the two of you? Like, yeah. like. I'll put in the good word for you. I'll tell like, you're my favorite teacher ever. I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that'd be amazing. Like if she does, if she's not already matched, if she's looking to make an adoption plan, like I would love to chat with her. So that was quite a journey because it was initiated by my husband and me. And Mm -hmm. uh, we later brought the adoption agency in. Now on the first one, they kind of smoothed things along. Sure. You know, with our second adoption, it was like, I I kind of became uh, more of a mentor or big sister to this young woman who was pregnant, unplanned. And we spent a lot of time together. I took her to all of her doctor's appointments. We went out to eat and to movies together. And, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to pressure her one way or the other. She had chosen adoption, but at the same time, I didn't want to be, you know, that, I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't want to be salesy, I guess. I wanted to um, be upfront about, you know, we're looking for, to adopt another baby, but if that's not the plan, and I remember sitting in the nursery after Faith, our daughter Faith was born and holding her and rocking her and just saying, this might be the only time that I'm her mother, this, these hours Mm -hmm. right here that I'm singing to her and rocking her and loving her. And if that's what you have for me, then I will take it. Wow. And so tell me um, after, you know, obviously that y'all were able to 
um, adopt her? And um, how are you, you know, at this point, are you still wanting more children? And uh, how is, how is, are the dynamics, you know, in your home after? After we adopted our second, after we Uh adopted three. Uh Yeah. Um, Mark and I always said we wanted three or four, but of course we had no idea how difficult our journey would be. And um, I think my husband would have been happy just saying, okay, we're done. Uh, (laughs) But I had that number in my mind and I loved, um, I loved being a mom. I really love watching kids, little personalities unfold. And I loved how, I really felt like I had a direct connection to God, just watching my my babies grow and being their mom. And yeah. especially with adoption, um, you know, I didn't have the birthright to them. God had given them to me. They were a gift. Mm-hmm. And I really felt very close to him every single day as a mom. I was relying on him and I could see his wisdom and what he had done and the way he had built our family. So... I want, I did want another one. I was ready for another one and we didn't know what we were going to do. Adoption was, had turned out beautifully for us. Um, in the middle of it, it was scary. There were some very fearful times. Um, and I had a friend from church. We sang together. We were not besties or anything, but we served together. Our church was a new church start. It was built on reaching out to the community. So we had handed out light bulbs and um, done gas buy downs and, you know, washed windshield and cl- clean bathrooms and everything in the community. Love it. Servant evangelism. Mm-hmm. And she just approached me one day and said, um, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to carry a baby for another family who had trouble. And I never knew who it would be for, but I feel like God is telling me he wants me to carry a baby for you and Mark. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it was like out of the blue and shocking. And also I didn't believe it right away because Mm. saying that you want to do something and then finding out the details behind it and all the, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through with service. Mm -hmm. I, um, I wasn't sure that it would actually happen, but I was very honored that she had, you know, offered that. Yeah. So, uh, it took a little convincing of my husband to mm. make the first doctor's appointment. And Jana was like, yeah, let's do it. And every time I talked to her, I thought she'd be like, well, I've talked to my husband. She, they already had their family. They had two kids. Um, they were like elementary age and they were done. She didn't want any more kids. And every time like weeks would go by or months. And then I'd say, well, I talked to Mark and, and she's like, yeah, like, when are we going to do it? Like, what, what do you want to go? And <laughs> wow. <laughs> she was just, she and Steve were on board from the very mm. beginning. And so yeah. we went to our first doctor's appointment and we heard some stories there. Uh, there had been a woman in Grand Rapids. In fact, in Michigan, there's a huge um, gestational surrogacy court case right now. Oh. Same situation as ours uh, with the biological, actually twins, biological twins carried by a gestational carrier and the judge will, would not sign the birth order or the paperwork. So this couple is going to have to adopt their biological twins. 
So it's another like a home study and all this money, which they've already spent. I mean, they've already spent a ton of money to, you know, to bring their twins here. But anyway, um, and we had heard a story like that when we went to our doctor's appointment, Jonna and I did. And um, I thought it was kind of scary. And we walked out and because what can happen is you can get stuck with a bill. If there are any sort of complications with the pregnancy, you know, if the surrogacy is required, you know how much that costs. Um, if somehow their their insurance company says mm, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna pay for that. You carried that baby for somebody else, then they would or we would be stuck with, and it could be mm-hmm. major. You know, if a, if a baby ended sure. up in ICU or whatever. Oh wow! So walking out of that, I was like, well, why don't you go home and talk to Steve about it? And you know, it's this kind of scary and it's pretty involved. So you know, let mm-hmm. us know. And she's like, nope, we're ready to go. Just let us know. <laughs> And then we met with the lawyer and again, Mark, it was all four of us. And Mm. Mark and I said, you guys talk about it and let us know. And they're like, nope, we're ready. Just let us know. You know, we're ready to sign. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So she got pregnant with our son. They transferred, um, transferred two. They were going to transfer three, transferred two. And we ended up with one um, that stuck and our Mm. son was born two days after Valentine's day on February 16th, wow. two days after the judge signed the pre-birth order, it had been more than a month. And he was like, I just don't think this is right. I can't sign this. And we got the news on Valentine's day and we did a happy uh-huh. dance around our dinner table with our little girls. Mm. And then two days later, our son West was born. Wow. A little what? story, little short story with him is I'll try to make it short. He, um, we were at, Jana's last, one of her last appointments. And I heard a story. I was running back to the restroom and all the nurses were talking hush hush about this woman who had um, lost the baby at like 40 weeks. She, mm-hmm. she had lost her kit counts and, and she had to deliver stillborn. And I have several friends who have had to deal with that. I can't, mm-hmm. can't even imagine, but I was all shaken up when I went into the appointment room with Jana and, I was asking the doctor, like, why would that happen? Like, the baby's made it this far. Like, how does that happen? And he said, well, what usually happens is there's a knot in the umbilical cord and it cuts off the baby's, you know, nutrients and oxygen and all that stuff. And But he said, you need to relax, mama. Your baby's coming. He's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I see very, very few of these. Mm-hmm. So, Jana, um, just a couple days later, was in the delivery room and West was born and the nurse caught him and said, um, look at this. We have a miracle baby. He was born with a knot in his cord and West was born with a knot in his cord. And Mm. Jonna and I looked at each other and just Mm. lost it because again, God's protection and not to minimize anybody else's pain. I know I don't know everyone's story. I know God is present in every story, but to know that I had overheard that and then West was born with a knot in his cord. I felt like God was saying to me, I've heard your prayer because I prayed for him every single moment before he was conceived as I did with my girls too. You know, before he was conceived, I feel like every hour were just breath prayers that he would get here safely. This was his birth was really 10 years of infertility in the making of a biological child. And sure. Um, 
I felt like I was privy to that story because God mm. wanted me to be, and he wanted me to know that he had been faithful to my prayers and he had answered them. Mm. What an incredible story um, of just God's faithfulness and God working in all things. And even though your family looked different than what you had envisioned years before, how God has been faithful um, to bring you children in just the different, a different way. So, um, wow, what an encouragement you are. And so I want to ask you, what would you say to the woman that is walking through infertility and maybe feels alone and maybe feels like nobody understands, or maybe is, was you at a baby shower years ago? Um, what would you say to her? I think the main thing for women struggling to know is they are not alone, that God is with them. And it is hard in the day to day to see it. It is hard to see him in the negative test result, in the tubal pregnancy, in the miscarriage, in the stillbirth. Um, I've had friends who have given birth to babies who've died within hours of being born. Um, I don't believe God causes that. I think, you know, in Eden, it was never supposed to be this way. So God is, he is with them. That's all I can say is that he's with them. And I just claim the promise of Romans 8, 28, which is that he is always working for our good. We cannot always see it. We live, we live on this earth. We, we're not always privy to what's going on in the spiritual realm, but it's always going on. And he's always working for our good. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. He's always working for our good. So especially when you cannot see it as a human being, we have to claim that promise and know that he loves us and that anything he allows is for our good. Not that he caused it, but anything that he allows that breaks our hearts, it actually makes us more like him. And I can say that I am more like Jesus because I was a control freak before infertility. And I thought the only way was my way. And it has been so freeing to know, to give up my own way in so many ways since infertility. You know, parenting is, wow. It, I would say infertility is the most difficult thing I've faced as a human being. And the second most difficult thing is parenting. <laughs> I have three <laughs> yeah. teenagers now. So there are times when I just have to say, Lord, they are yours. Mm. They are yours. And my ability to affect them comes from you. But ultimately, these kids are yours. And mm. wow, what a relief to know that we can pass that over to Jesus. I mean, yeah. it is within his control. It is not within our control, just like infertility. And if you're giving control over to God, Wow, what a relief, because you can trust that whatever he has for you is so much better than what you think you have yes. to have. Yes, that's good. Oh, that's so good. And um, so I just wrote the word free freedom, you know, and relief, you know, that it is the Lord takes our our burdens, but he uh, makes, uh, you know, beauty from ashes. So, right. wow. God's story amazing. never ends in ashes. That's Elizabeth Elliot's quote. I love that. Mm, That's so true. Mm. 
Well, um, I know that you, uh, I want you to share with us uh, about your book and where everybody can find it and where we can find you online. Yes, um, my book is called Life After Infertility, A Story of Hope for Those Who Wait. If you follow me, if you just, you know, watch my posts on Instagram, you'll be able to link to a free PDF download of that. Um, it's, you know, people have this idea of writing books and making money. It, that is not what this book was about. And for most authors who have, especially Christian authors who have stories to share to uplift other people, that's not what it's about. I want to get this book out. I want to offer people hope. Um, and I really think, you know, hearing people's testimony, which is what this is, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Testify. Yeah. Um, I think that it will give people hope that they're going to make it. You're going to make it yeah. one day at a time. You're going to be looking at back at this situation through the rearview mirror someday and watching God's faithfulness. You'll be able to point to it. I think it's, you know, obviously it's written specifically for people struggling with infertility and for their supporters, people who don't know how to support people struggling with infertility. But really, I've had other friends who've read it who've said, really, it's for anybody who has ever wrestled with God and thought, like, where is he? What, What is going on? So anytime, mm-hmm. you know, any people who've had doubt or heartbreak and you're looking for stories of God's faithfulness, I hope this will be a blessing to you. Mm, that's great. Mainly on Instagram is where I am most of the time. So um, okay. at Sarah Rolandini. All right. That's great. And I'll put all that in the show notes for sure. Um, okay. So the last part of my interview, I always ask what you're eating, reading, and loving. So I want to know. <laughs> all right. Um, eating. Well, it's funny. I cook for our family, of course. So we eat the same things every week, pizza and tacos and spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I am living on Dove Dark Chocolate, which I have for many, many years. I have Dove yes. Dark every single day, just a couple of them. Sometimes okay. it's more than that. Depending on <laughs> okay. Um, I love tea and even my tea is, is chocolate flavored. Um, I have mm. Irish cream tea and chocolate lover's tea. And so okay. loose leaf tea is what I drink. I'm not a coffee drinker. Okay. Um, and this doesn't sound very good, but it's getting me through uh, my breakfast in the morning. A dear friend of mine drinks a green smoothie. So she gave me the recipe for that. And I've been drinking that for breakfast, skipping my cereal, just trying to get a little healthier. Okay. Um, That's good. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm eating right now. Okay. All right. What are you reading? I've finished a couple books already this year. I finished The Waterkeeper by Charles Martin, which is really good. Highly recommend it. It is written by a Christian author, but it's not, I will be the first to say, I cannot stand cheesy Christian fiction, guys. I can't can't stand (laughs) cheesy Christian fiction. It's got to be realistic. And this is very realistic. Okay. Um, the Waterkeeper by Charles Martin. And I just finished The Atonement Child by Francine Rivers. She is a, just a wonderful uh, Christian author of fiction. Um, this specific book was about a woman who becomes a college student, actually, who becomes pregnant through rape and struggling mm-hmm. with um, what to do, what to do after she she becomes pregnant and what to do after that when she finds out that she's pregnant. It's a beautiful story of redemption. And um, I'm currently in the middle of a separate piece, 
a separate piece, which is more of a, a secular book, but very beautifully written. I love literary fiction. Okay. That's awesome. What are you loving? Um, so I've been getting, I live in Michigan and a lot of days I'm a walker. I'm not a runner. I've had so many people try to convince me to be a runner. Don't even bother. I'm not going to yeah, do it. Me either. <laughs> I've walked my whole life and it's worked for me. So yeah. some days I cannot get out because I'm a little fearful of slipping. I have yak mm. tracks, but when it gets really icy here, you know, I can just see myself falling over and breaking a wrist or something. And because I teach sign language, that would put me out of commission. So Ooh, I'm not yeah. going to put myself in that position. So I will roll out my yoga mat in front of my television and I will just, I've got a Fitbit. So I'll get my steps in there if I have to. Okay. And I've been watching a TV show on BBC. It's actually Masterpiece Theater called The Durls. It's such a weird name, The Durls in Corfu. So The Durls, I think it's D-U-R-R-E-L-L. So it's about this family who moves from England to an island off of Greece called Corfu. Okay. And it's kind of a dramedy, a comedy drama. Okay. And it's kind of a way to get a vacation away from the grayness and the snow of Southwest Michigan on the TV screen because you've got these beautiful palm trees and it takes place in the maybe 40s or 50s. So everybody's Mm -hmm. dressed beautifully, like, (laughs) you know, hats and dresses. And it's it's my little way to vacation right in front of my television. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so great. Okay. So you get your steps in and you can watch some fun TV. That's awesome. Good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story of um, hope and encouragement while walking through infertility. It's just neat to see how God has just beautifully orchestrated how he brought children into your family. So that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you so much for your time today, Ren. Here at the Friends of a Feather podcast, we are so excited to tell you all about a great new resource we found, Kaleidoscope Kids Bibles. Until now, there was very little to help bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations, which are written at a high school level or higher. Kaleidoscope is a new kids Bible company that is changing that. They retell every book of the Bible in beautifully designed single volumes with elementary-aged kids in mind. They are a company you can trust to help your children fall in love with the Bible. Check them out today at readkaleidoscope.com. That's R-E-A-D-K-A-L-E-I-D-O. S-C-O-P-E.com. This month, they are releasing two new volumes, Sound the Alarm, Joel, Amos, and Jonah, by none other than the hilariously funny Caroline Saunders, and Over the River, the story of Joshua by Chris Ammon. Friends, you can use the discount code FEATHER to take 15% off your order today. That's 15% off using the discount code FEATHER. You can find them on Instagram at read.kaleidoscope to learn more. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles. Thank you for joining me for today's show. For more encouragement, 
hop on over to Instagram at Friends of a Feather Podcast. I would love for you to send me a direct message and say hi. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, we are all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, friends.